My name is Teresa Watts. I will be reading Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Thanks be to the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I said at the, uh, at the beginning, this is, a, this is a day that we have been working toward for the past, uh, past five weeks or so. We've been talking about stewardship, and, but trying to, to get at stewardship uh, at, at a deeper level level than what we usually do when we talk about stewardship. Usually when we talk about stewardship, we are, um, we are talking about uh, our, our, our financial stewardship, how we use our money, right? Um, how we share our, our financial resources. But stewardship goes much, much deeper than that. Uh, stewardship really, as we've talked about, is, is about how we use all the resources with which God blesses us. And so we've, we've endeavored to kind of explore that, and we've done so through the lens of the membership vows that we take when we join the church, when we pledge our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And we've kind of explored together what that looks like in a very real sense. What does it look like when those become tangible? tangible aspects uh, of, our, of our faith journey. And today we, we kind of come together to, in, in culmination of that. In just a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity, each one of our families uh, who call uh, this place home, we are going to have an opportunity to come and, and, and articulate in a very real sense with those pledge cards who we will be over the course of this next year, who we will be as a church, and how we will use all the resources with which God blesses us uh, to the furtherance or in the service of God and to the furtherance of God's kingdom, okay? But before we do that, I think it's, it's, it's good to take just a few minutes and to kind of talk about what it is that we're doing today when we make that pledge. And so as we prepare to do that, let me invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we seek nothing more on this day than to hear your voice, to hear your word. Through these words that I have prepared and through the ancient words of Scripture, O oh God, let us pray that you would speak to us, that your words would re reverberate off these walls and would find the deep, fertile soil of our hearts and truly take root so that we might be transformed from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so when I was growing up, every school day started exactly the same. In fact, I suspect it did for, for most of you as well. Somewhere between taking attendance and morning announcements, we would be invited to stand to put our right hands over our heart and recite the first oath that most of us ever learned. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, by the time my kids were in school, in many, many times they would add and also invite them to recite the pledge to the Texas flag. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state under God, one and indivisible. And I always think about that. I always kind of remember that because when later on, when I was uh, down, when I was working down in Central Texas, I was part of the Rotary Club for a time, and, and we would recite those two pledges 
at the beginning of every meeting, the pledge to the U.S. flag and the pledge to the Texas flag. And I always think about that because there was this one older gentleman in the, in the club, and at the end of the pledge to the Texas flag, he every single time would say, amen. And I always thought it was strange, that amen at the end of the, of, of the, the pledge to the Texas flag. In fact, there were times I thought it kind of bordered on the sacrilege. But the more I've thought about it, the more I wonder if, if, if that guy, if he got it, more than the rest of us. Because typically when we think about a pledge, when we talk about making a pledge, we kind of equate it with a promise, right? When I pledge my allegiance to the flag, or rather to the republic for which that flag stands, I am promising to be faithful to the United States of America. I'm promising to be loyal to the United States of America, to hold the United States of America above any other country in the world because it's mine, because I have pledged my allegiance to it. But if you really kind of dig into it, what we find is that pledge, the idea of a pledge, goes deeper than simply a promise. That the promise is is sort of secondary, that the purpose of the pledge is to sort of bind up one side of a contract. It is that which is sort of, which is held in trust, if you will. A pledge is not simply a promise, but rather it is the tangible manifestation of that promise. It's the difference between me standing up and pledging my loyalty to the United States of America and the guys that actually raised their hand in a time of conflict and said, send me, I'll go, because I believe that this is important enough that I'm willing to put my very life on the line. This is big enough, this ideal is big enough that it's worth whatever sacrifice may be required. I pledge allegiance. And if you can kind of wrap your mind around that subtle difference, then I think you've you've gone a long way into getting to the the heart of this very familiar passage of Scripture that, that Teresa shared with us just a few moments ago. It's probably one of the most familiar verses of Scripture in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? You've heard that. Go on any Christian website, and I almost promise you, you'll find that somewhere. You'll see it on bumper stickers, on coffee mugs. If you come to my house, there's a little stone right there by the front door. It's actually a thing where you can hide a key, but it's a little stone, and it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those passages that just kind of makes us feel good. It's one of those passages that say, yes, makes you want to say, yes, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But if we don't really dig into it, because it turns out this is one of the most layered stories in the Old Testament, and if you don't dig into it, if your theology doesn't go past, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, then you miss those rich layers that truly give life to this story. The story comes at the end of the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is really devoted to telling the story of the Israelites, the Jewish people's fight to get back into the promised land. 
And to put it in kind of a historical timeline, just so we all are familiar with what's going on, you remember, the, you remember those Old Testament stories, right? You remember, you remember God making covenant with Abraham back in the 12th chapter of Genesis, saying, I will be your God, you and your ancestors will be my people, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the world. Oh, and I'm going to give you land. I'm going to, I want you to go to this land that I'm promising you, the promised land. And so they go, and, and for a while, everything's going along pretty good. And then at the end of the book of Genesis, we find the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph and the, and the coat of many colors, right? So Joseph is the youngest brother, and his older brothers are jealous of him, and so they basically sell him off into slavery, and he winds up in Egypt. And eventually he winds up, he kind of does well in Egypt, and he winds up as the kind of number one go-to guy for the pharaoh, for the king of Egypt. Meanwhile, back home, there's a terrible famine, and people are literally starving to death. And so Joseph's brothers are dispatched to Egypt to try to get help, and, and there's this, you know, reunification, there's this, you know, kind of a reunion of sorts. Joseph forgives his brothers, and the whole family, along with lots of other Israelites, move to Egypt to escape the famine. Well, again, things go pretty well for a while. And then one day, Pharaoh looks out at these Hebrew people and says, wow, there's a lot of them. They are really being fruitful and multiplying. In fact, there's, there's enough of them they could pose a threat. And so Pharaoh enslaves them. He makes them slaves. And for 400 years, they labor under slavery in Pharaoh's Egypt. And then... God hears their cry. God sends Moses. Moses leads them out of, the, out of Egypt, right? The story of the Red Sea and all that. They go across the desert for 40 years as God molds them and shapes them into the people that they were created and called to be. And then Moses dies. Moses dies before they get to the promised land. And Joshua takes the reins. Joshua is the one who leads them ultimately into the promised land after 40 years of tra traversing the desert. Now, the problem is, is that while they have been in slavery in Egypt, other people have settled in the promised land. The Canaanites, the Moabites, the Amorites, they're all there, and they're none too happy at this group of people who says, hey, by the way, this is our land, God said so. And so they literally have to fight their way back into the land that God promised them. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Joshua, they finally made it. They finally defeated their enemies, they're, they're back home where, where God intended them to be all along. And before they can even relax, before they can even get comfortable, Joshua calls them all together at Shechem. And he asks them to participate in a covenant renewal ceremony. And that's what this is, the scene. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. And Joshua says, now that we're here, you have to decide this day, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the gods, that people who used to live here, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Moabites? Are you going to serve one of those gods, or are you going to serve the God of Israel? You have to decide right now. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's an extraordinary moment because it's not the, the feel-good thing that we sort of take it as when we look at that one verse it is literally a line in the sand that Joshua was drawing and says choose now and a couple of interesting things you know you notice that that there's no there's no tomorrow 
There's no next week. Joshua says, right now, you have to make a decision. Right now. And the other, and perhaps more important, is that notice that serving nothing or no one is not an option. Joshua essentially says, you're going to serve someone or something. Someone or something is going to guide you. Someone or something will have your loyalty. Something or someone is going to direct and and shape and mold your actions, indeed, your very life. You're going to serve someone. The question is, who's it going to be? You're going to serve someone. And I can't think of a time in in our lives that 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 scene is more relevant than right now right here because let's face it friends we've made it to the promised land right i mean look around <laughs> we made it to the promised land after after 30 years of talking about it dreaming about it praying about it arguing about it buying land selling land giving up land We finally made it. We finally have found our way to the place where we sense God is calling us to be for the future. We finally made it. Now, granted, it doesn't exactly look like we envisioned it looking, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't envision that coffee bar sitting out there idle on a Sunday morning. I didn't envision the tables and chairs in the multi-purpose center being stacked in the closet on Sunday morning. I didn't imagine the commons featuring a a single file line of people socially distanced to get in and out of the sanctuary. Let's face it, we, we envisioned this room being packed to the rafters, right? As all of our neighbors came over to check out what is this, what is this Ash Lane place? What are they doing over there? We pictured it very, very different. And the easiest thing in the world for us to do is to simply say, it is what it is. It's kind of like my, my daughter. Most of you haven't met our daughter, Emma. She's a first semester student at LSU. And for the past 12 days, she has been cooped up by herself in a hotel room. She was notified that someone that she had been in contact with had tested positive for COVID and she was forced to quarantine. Now, the good news is that she tested negative. The bad news is is that she has to quarantine for 14 days. Now, for an introvert like me, this would be like a vacation. You know, you couldn't blast me out of that place. But Emma is the total opposite of me. She is super outgoing. She's super involved on campus. She's super involved in her sorority. She has lots of friends, lots of activities. She's always out doing something, and she is climbing the walls. And she talked to Melissa just a couple of days ago, and, and she said, uh, I, I don't think I can do this for five more days. And Melissa relayed that conversation to me, and I went, uh, I don't think she has any choice. She's going to have to make the best of it. This is one of those you know, times that you have to grow up a little bit. I said, it is what it is. And it is. And it's the most tempting thing in the world to look at our current situation and simply say, it is what it is. To simply say, you know what, we made it. It's not exactly what we expected, but let's just sit back and enjoy what we've accomplished. Let's enjoy the the fruits of our journey 
And let's just be realistic about what we can do and what we can't do. You know, we can't invite a bunch of people to church because for the first time ever, we have to actually stop and think what happens if too many people show up? We can't grow. We can't grow as a church because, well, we're only doing the bare, stripped down version of what we really want to be doing just to make sure everybody's safe. You know, we can't serve. Because between the social distancing and the masks and all that, it's awkward, to say the least. We can't witness because, well, you get the idea. It is what it is. Except it's not. Except that it hasn't been. Because the truth is, we've been doing all of those things. Worship may not look like we necessarily envisioned it looking, but we're still worshiping, either in person or or online. We are worshiping together. And with technology, we're now able to do it truly at the same time, truly as a family of faith, as, as, you know, you've got 50 people online who are worshiping right along with you right now in real time. We're still serving in some cases, more so and more creatively than we did before COVID. And friends, we are still witnessing. I had the, I had the privilege of, of being with, with Marla Williams and Jim Van Wright this past Wednesday over at the Parkwood uh, uh, Retirement Living Center over in Bedford. And, and Jim was there. He, he didn't preach a sermon. He didn't do a Bible study. He brought his karaoke machine. And for an hour, the residents there sat on their balconies, peering over in the courtyard where he had set up as he led them in an hour-long sing-along. He sang Frank Sinatra, Perry Como. He sang Willie Nelson, George Strait, Southern Gospel hymns. He sang it all, and they sang right along with him. And again, he didn't... didn't He didn't share a sermon. He didn't share a Bible story. What he shared was a message. And the message was to a group of people who have been cooped up since March. His message was the people of Ash Lane care. The people of Ash Lane value you. And there were, what, Marla, 25, 30 people there? And I guarantee you, those people will go and they'll tell their friends. And the next time we go, those people and their friends will all be there. And so on and so on. Because in the midst of a pandemic, the people of Ash Lane United Methodist Church have found a way to continue to reach out beyond these walls. It's a way that that I didn't learn in seminary. I didn't take a class on karaoke in seminary. But I guarantee you, ministry happened on Wednesday because I saw it. My point is, friends, that we're still doing what we do. And in many cases, because of the pandemic, we are, we're, we're forcing ourselves to find new and more creative ways to do it. And so we'll continue worshiping, and it may continue to look different for the foreseeable future. But we're finding new ways to worship, new ways to, to reach out for the people who can't be here. New ways to build community when community doesn't look like it used to look. 
And so the question is, who are we going to serve? That's ultimately the question that we're answering today. Because we have two choices, and, and note that not serving anyone isn't one of them. We can serve ourselves. We can exist to make ourselves comfortable. And that's the church that we will become. Or we can choose to serve God. The way I've seen this church serve since July when I arrived. I suspect it's been going on a lot longer than that. So we can serve ourselves, and that's the church that we will become, or we can choose on this day to serve God, and that's the kingdom that will unfold. So let us decide on this day whom we will serve. I suspect that as for me and you and you and you, Veronica, you, Ann, I think we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we, as we prepare ourselves, as we pre- prepare ourselves to, to look into the future, even when the, the present feels uncertain, Lord, we just pray that, that you would be the lens through which we gaze and that truly we would imagine your future, the future that you dream of, and that it truly might become our dream as well. In Jesus' name, amen.